So 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Page 1030 if you use the church Bible. It's been a very hard letter for Paul to write. I'm sure it's been a harder letter for the Corinthians to hear many times. At least those who are willing to hear. Are we willing to hear? 1 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I gave a warning when I was present the second time, and now I'm giving a warning while I'm absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient. Since you speak proof of Christ speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by God's power. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? And I hope you will recognize that we ourselves do not fail the test, but we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. Not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you, you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you may become fully mature. This is why I'm writing these things while absent. So when I am there, I may not have to deal harshly with you, in keeping with the authority of Jesus gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In front of you, and let me just pray as we read God's word to us today. Our God and Father, we thank you that you speak to us through the words of your Son and through, your, through his apostles we ask that as we conclude this letter of 2 Corinthians that we might know you better by your spirit, understand how the message concerning Jesus works powerfully in our lives and submit ourselves to the apostles' teachings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, friends, I'd like to begin with a personal story uh, which I hope will help us understand the background uh, and message of this letter to 2 Corinthians. Um, it, it was happened a very long time ago, so I'm twiddling with a few details. 
Uh, early on in my high school years, my mother started working in the family business. She started helping uh, dad with, with his accountancy firm. And that meant every afternoon until about 4pm, the house was empty and we had rain. We had full rain of our home. So much time was wasted watching I Dream of Jeannie and Happy Days and uh, Gilligan's Island and all those trash American TV shows. Uh, we'd often play backyard cricket and that would often uh, become a game of brandings. Do you, do you know brandings? It's basically tip but you use a tennis ball which you peg as hard as you can at, uh, the other per- at whoever you're playing with. Now, let me tell you about my mother's Laladro figurine and I expect you might guess where this is going. Laladro is a Spanish company that makes uh, these figurines, porcelain figurines. And my mother, I think she'd inherited this 30 centimetre high figurine of this lady uh, and it, she was wearing this big puffy dress and it looked like it was blowing in the wind. It was quite amazing to look at. Uh, I shouldn't put it in the past tense because she's still got it. Um, and it sat there in the sitting room on the mantelpiece. And one day our game of cricket deteriorated into a game of brandings. And uh, our rule was that the back door was barred. You could stand on the back step and you weren't allowed to be have the ball pegged at you. Um, of course, sometimes it would slip out of the hand that, that rule often came into play. So we used to use the screen door as a sort of a shield to, to stop getting hit while we're standing there on the back step. Anyway, this one day after the tennis ball had been thrown, the screen door was opened sufficiently so that the ball went flying through into the kitchen and somehow it hit mum's Laladro figurine in the sitting room. It fell over and its head and a hand broke off. What would you do in that instance? (laughs) Now I can't remember the specific details of who had thrown the ball. It was clearly my brother. What I did, what we knew for certain was mum was going to be furious when she got home. She was going to go ballistic. How many times has she told us not to throw a ball inside? Countless times. And what we didn't realise at the time was the value of that Laladro figurine. It was like two or three hundred dollars back in 1970s. That's like two or three thousand dollars if you wanted to buy one today. Mum was going to be mad. And so we did everything we could do to prepare for mum's arrival. That kitchen, it was spotless. (laughs) We cleaned up our Milo and our uh, biscuits. We cleaned up our mess. And I tried to use sticky tape to (laughs) connect that head and hand back to the figurine. The Apostle Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth He had been proclaiming the news about Jesus' death and resurrection. 
He had established the church there and uh, had uh, lived, shared his life with them, shared with them how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, soon after he left, the, the church had contacted, written him letters, uh, sharing problems that they were having. And Paul addressed these in some letters, one of which is called 1 Corinthians. At one point, I suspect, when Paul was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, uh, he made this quick visit over to Corinth, the painful visit, as he mentioned earlier in, in this letter that we've been reading. Paul had also sent his companion Titus over to Corinth uh, to both reinforce his gospel ministry, uh, to confirm what Paul had taught them, but also to check if the Corinthians were on track to reconciling with one another, to addressing the sin in their church community, uh, seeing if they had resolved some of the issues. And these were the key issues that Paul is trying to address in this letter of 2 Corinthians. Had they addressed the big issues of sin in their church community? And secondly, had they accepted Paul's instructions uh, to them? Um, Paul wasn't really sure how his instructions were going to go down because there were certain people in the church who were trying to undermine him. They had different teachings and different opinions uh, to Paul. So Paul had been planning to visit them. Uh, were the Corinthians going to be like my brother and I who were, we were doing our darndest to get ready for mum's arrival? Were the Corinthians preparing themselves uh, as Paul was coming to visit them? Had they started to address their issues? Because now was the time for the Corinthians to get it right, to prepare, to address the issues of sin and faithfulness before Paul personally arrives, arrives to deal with uh, and, and come in all his apostolic authority. So he says at the beginning of chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, which we just read, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And he's quoting Deuteronomy there. That's the foundation of Jesus' teaching uh, about church discipline. So Paul's saying he's coming to establish discipline. And he goes on, I gave a warning when I was present the second time. And now I give a warning while I am absent to those who sin before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul really is concluding this whole letter. Uh, and he actually concludes in two ways. Uh, you'll see there in verses 1 to 10, he talks about the implications of his imminent arrival, what he expects will happen if he arrives and they haven't heeded his warning. Uh, he also, in his final greetings, Paul also summarises some key issues or the key themes in this letter. Now, you not, might not be aware that Paul often in his letter will succinctly summarise everything he's been talking about in one verse. 
I think this was your homework. Did anyone do their homework this week? Erin? No? You had the diary for crying. Wow. Well, we know that Paul often will introduce his letters with some key themes like Galatians. He talks about uh, being an apostle and that becomes a big theme in the letter. But he also uses the letter closings um, to, to, and he follows a very particular pattern to, to do a very similar thing. Um, you see, if you've got your hand out in front of you, there's a whole stack of references to the books where he does this. Um, what he does is before he has this peace benediction, he will state his theme. So before Paul says in his letters, may the God of peace be with you, he will, he will very briefly reiterate all his main points. So if you look down in chapter 13, 13 verse 11, Paul concludes the letter uh, in this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, become mature, be comforted, be of the same mind, be at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Before his peace greeting there, he, he summarises the key themes of his letters in five commands. Did you see them? Rejoice, become mature, be comforted and you'll see there I've changed that from be encouraged and I'll explain in a minute why I've changed it to be comforted uh, and fourthly be the same mind and finally be at peace. Now as we've read this letter over the past four months would you say they are the themes of this letter? Well our goal today is, is to look at how this is so. That's what we're, we're going to do today. Uh, this whole letter has been one really long appeal to the Corinthians. Uh, and so we're not surprised he expresses his themes in commands. He, that's what he wants them to do. There are some actions that need to be taken. And if they've understood this letter correctly, then this is how they should respond. So we're only going to consider a few of these themes um, as Paul mentions them both in this chapter and in this letter. Um, I've only chosen a few because of time, really. Uh, but please, this is your homework this week, Erin, in the diary. Look at how the other themes we don't cover uh, are worked out in this letter. That there are like rejoicing. You'll see rejoicing comes up all the time in the letter. Uh, we're just not going to cover it specifically today. Uh, the first theme I'd like to consider was the one Paul used to launch this letter, this idea of comfort or encouragement. The, the, the word is interchangeable in the Greek. To encourage someone is also to encourage them. Uh, Paul deeply desires for the Corinthians to know the God of comfort, the God of encouragement, so that they might comfort one another. So if you flick back to chapter 1, Flick back to chapter 1, you'll see how he begins in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, I hope you see why I've chosen the word comfort here instead of its alternative encouragement. 
that's because the CSB translators started the letter using comfort and they didn't continue to the end. That's a shame. Nevertheless, it is through knowing the God, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we find comfort, especially in times of hardship and suffering for the gospel. Uh, we are comforted by God. Our faith, it, when we reflect about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we know the certainty of our faith, we have assurance of salvation. Uh, that is the comfort we receive when we're facing affliction and as we bring that message to others, that's how we can comfort others. Paul mentions also, for example, in verse 11, how we can mutually encourage one another through prayer. Uh, in, uh, a great way to encourage someone is having God answer your prayers for another person who's facing suffering. In chapter 7, you might remember how Paul mentions meeting up with Titus uh, who brought him comfort. Uh, if you yeah, flick over to chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 5 and set to 7, Paul hadn't found Titus in Troas, remember that in chapter 2, uh, so he keeps going up to Macedonia and he records for us in chapter 7, verse 5, in fact, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. There you go, there's a mention of rejoicing. Titus had been Paul's uh, close companion, a, a partner in his gospel ministry. And he was a close friend who encouraged him and spurred him on. Uh, and Paul mentions this at the, at the end of chapter 7 especially. Uh, our Christian friendships bring us great joy and comfort, don't they? Uh, these people who are sitting around you today are the ones who are going to remind you of that good news about Jesus Christ. So when you're facing hardship, these are the people to turn to. They are the ones who are going to remind you of what God's done for us in Jesus. That's companionship and Titus's presence comforted Paul. But Titus was also comforted, uh, Paul was also comforted by the news that Titus had brought. Uh, the, he reports that the Corinthians had received Paul's instructions and obeyed them, verse 7. And, and this brings Paul great joy. Uh, throughout this letter you can read of Paul's love and concern for these people. Uh, he is so concerned that they know that gospel message about Jesus and live in faithful obedience to him. So hearing that they have been sorrowful over their sin and have accepted Paul's direction in these issues really encourages him. Of course the command be comforted or be encouraged implies that the Corinthians must actually listen to and accept Paul's uh, instruction, his exhortation, his encouragement. Uh, and there is many things that we've read in these letters that Paul exhorts them uh, and encourages them to do. Uh, forgive the person who had sinned 
against them all and brought a great deal of pain, chapter 2. Not to rely on the Old Testament law, chapter 3. Recommit themselves to the collection uh, that they had started for the church in Jerusalem, chapters 8 and 9. Does that sparking memories in your mind? Uh, we've seen that the church had made some steps in these things. Paul's final encouragement in chapters 10 to 12 was that they needed to deal with those false super, te- super apostles amongst them, those who had deceptively infiltrated their church. Paul will be greatly comforted if they go the whole hog, if they complete the task in kicking out those false teachers who are undermining his authority. And that really uh, brings us up to what we read in chapter 13, that he exhorts them to do that. So be comforted. Paul praises our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the comfort that the gospel brings a comfort we share while we're experiencing suffering and how we can comfort, bring comfort to one another. That's a big theme in this letter. Paul also encourages the Corinthians to heed his warning, to listen to his encouragements. So that's the theme of comfort in this letter. The next theme I'd like to consider are Paul's commands to be mature and to be at peace. Uh, there is a, a bit of an overlap between these two, um, so that I'm sort of sticking them together, but they could be taken quite separately. The, the, just as the idea of becoming or comforting can also mean encouragement, this idea of being mature can be used in several ways. Uh, for example, uh, we'll, we'll see in a minute. You can um, to be mature is also to idea of being complete or to restore something, do a reno job on something. And you can see in chapter 13, verse 9, how Paul uh, talks about and uses this term. So if you look at chapter 13, verse 9, Paul writes from the second half of this verse, we also pray that you will become fully mature. This is why I'm writing these things while absent so that when I am there, I might not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building and not for tearing down. So it's used in both ways there. And you see the CSB footnote says in verse, makes a reference in verse 9 how this term has different nuances depending on the context. So how has Paul encouraged the Corinthians to become mature in this letter? How has he tried to build them and make them complete? Well, a few passages come to mind. Uh, Again, we're only going to be very brief here. He warns them that spiritual maturity does not come through obedience to the Old Testament law. Remember that in chapter 3? You cannot be saved through trying to keep that law. That Old Testament law is like a veil over your face. It actually blinds you to God. It keeps your heart, your heart hard to God. Spiritual maturity likewise does not come through shame, secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the words of God. That's what Paul writes back in chapter 4. Rather, uh, let's flick back to chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 5. Paul explains how we grow in spiritual maturity. 
chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give, up, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a big uh, phrase there in verse 6. Time and time again, the apostle points us to Jesus Christ. We rely on God recreating, transforming our hearts so that we might know God and his son. That's essentially what verse uh, 6 is saying there. That is the true path to spiritual maturity, to becoming complete, to growing up from being a child, spiritually, child, like a spiritually mature child to a mature adult in Christ. So Paul calls them to focus on the uh, eternal things by faith. Remember that in chapter 5? not looking at the temporary things of this creation. He calls them to observe uh, his conduct among them. He is an example to them of being a servant of Jesus Christ who was seeking spiritual maturity. That's in chapter 6. This call to spiritual maturity concludes in chapter 13 with Paul, uh, that call that Ben talked about, the call to examine yourself. So in chapter 13 from verse 5, have a look at that again. This is a key, key passage. To be mature means we test and examine ourselves. So chapter 13 verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless you fail the test. And I hope you will recognise that we ourselves do not fail the test. But we pray to God that you will do nothing wrong, not that we may appear to pass the test, but that, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. So Paul is just so concerned that they know Jesus Christ. He wants them to examine their faith, examine what they believe, what they trust. Paul has been proclaiming the truth to them, and, and conducting his life in accordance with it. And he doesn't want them to fail by not listening to it and obeying that true gospel which he first proclaimed to them. That is the path to spiritual maturity, examining yourself, testing your faith, knowing that truth that they had first heard from, from Paul. Now there's a little bit of an overlap here of being Uh, this idea of being mature or being restored and being at peace. Um, The main things the Corinthians would require Renault job on are their relationships. That's the key thing that Paul talks about in this letter. There is a need for restoration of reconciliation and, and being at peace with one another, with God and Paul. So there's these three ways that Paul encourages them to be restored, uh, to be reconciled. And in chapter 5 we looked at this. Uh, We are restored to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, We're reconciled to God. We're at peace with God and that's great news. Secondly, the Corinthians are to be at peace with one another. 
uh, forgiving the brother who had sinned. Uh, again, that was an example. You can read chapter 2 where Paul had talked about that. Uh, they are to remain separate from sinners but to seek to forgive one another and restore relationships so they might not be tempted to sin themselves. That, again, read chapter 2 to get uh, where Paul talks about that at depth. Thirdly, and, and this is really the background to the letter, Paul encourages the Corinthians to be restored to him. Uh, we've already considered Paul's anguish over his pained relationship with the church. We've heard how Titus had brought uh, uh, news that they had re- recommitted themselves to Paul, yet they still need to deal with these false super apostles undermining him. I think when I was in uh, first few years of high school working through this letter and just seeing how important it is to listen to that teaching about Paul's apostolic authority, it was really uh, changed uh, a big change in my mind how to understand the New Testament writings. Paul has an authority, he speaks from Christ, as he says in, in this letter. So we need to understand and be restored to Paul in a way accepting his responsibility under Christ. So being mature and being at peace are uh, themes throughout this letter. We've only really uh, briefly skirted over that idea of being at peace but hopefully that's sufficient that will remind you. Uh, and in this final chapter we see where again Paul calls them to examine their faith in Jesus Christ. Now I hope that as we've worked through this letter you've been reminded of that gospel, that news about Jesus Christ. Uh, it was great to work through this letter last year in our gospel team and a few people were saying, oh, this is a great verse, this is one of my favourite. Adam was saying it, uh, chapter 5, verse 19 or 20 or something like that if I remember. Uh, there are some great verses which remind us of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, that's how we grow in spiritual maturity and the challenges for us to be at peace with one another. Think the same things. The final theme I'd like to briefly consider is this command to be of the same mind. Uh, Firstly, it's worthwhile considering what Paul doesn't mean. I think this is a confusion the church, our church, and all Christians experience a lot these days. What does it mean to be of the same mind? Well, Paul doesn't mean, he's not instructing the Corinthians to set aside their individual opinions in matters that they're indifferent about. Uh, That's not what the Bible means and calls us to have the same mind. Uh, It was really sad to hear of the Anglican Anglican Church Synod that met the other week. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry too much. Um, That... I think this, they were adopted this idea that we should all disregard our opinions um, or, or yeah, set aside our individual opinions. Uh, some bishops had called for unity to be of the same mind but at the expense of biblical truth and, and they demonstrated that, that they were not of the same mind as Jesus Christ when they voted against a motion to c- confirm the biblical's teaching of marriage. And I think that's quite saddening. So what does Paul mean by having the same mind? 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls the church to be united in their understanding of the faith. That is, he, what he desires is, uh, them to think the same thing about is the gospel and how we live in faithful dependence. Uh, the phrase which spells out what it means to be like-minded was, uh, we looked at it last week in chapter 12, verse 9. And it's this refrain that keeps popping up throughout this whole letter. Paul recalls how Jesus said to him, chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected, or complete, or mature, in weakness. Remember that phrase? My power is perfected in weakness. Uh, In chapter 4, he used a very similar idea. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust him. We rely on him. We hold firmly to that message about him and that is our treasure. Paul is a weak, feeble proclaimer of this message. He suffers and is afflicted because of his service to Jesus Christ. And it is during those hard times, those times of affliction, when we, when we are experiencing hardship and suffering too, that the gospel shines, that God is working most powerfully for the power to give life and the power to transform hearts and the power to bring us into eternity is God's power. It's what God is doing as we hold on to that message about Jesus. We are fragile like clay jars, like ladro figurines even. But God works powerfully when we proclaim that message about Jesus' suffering and death uh, on the cross. That is the message that Paul has been hammering over time and time again in this letter. And that's what he wants them to have the same mind on, understanding how God works in this world. Look at how he summarises this in chapter 13. And we read this a bit earlier. Chapter 13, verse 2. I I gave a warning when I was present the second time and now I give a warning while I am absent to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by God's power. So the super apostles had tried to undermine Paul's apostolic work amongst them. He was actually, as he said, says here in verse 2, 2-3, uh, Christ is speaking in him. But Paul admits he is weak. But in a way, he is just reflecting our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was weak, willing to give his life up on a cross for our salvation. And it was at that time God was working most powerfully. 
the Corinthians had observed and experienced Paul's weaknesses. Uh, His humility and gentleness in serving them freely and proclaiming this news about Jesus Christ to them even though it meant he was beaten and flogged and thrown in prison and stoned. Yet now he is on the way with all Jesus' authority and power to see them again. And so he explains the purpose of this letter to them again in verse 10. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I am there I might not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building and not for tearing down. Paul loves this church so much. He desires them to grow to maturity, to present them to Christ on the day of judgment rather than rip them to shreds like like my mum did to me. He wants them to have the same mind regarding this power of God expressed in this message of Jesus Christ which Paul had first proclaimed to them in great weakness. When my mother did arrive home and found the dodgy sticky tape job on her Laladro figurine, uh, she did tear a strip off my brother and I. Uh, Mum eventually got a professional antique restorer dude to superglue the head and hand back on the figurine. Uh, the cracks are still obvious. Uh, it's a visual reminder that porcelain is extremely weak and fragile. And it still sits in, now it sits in the sitting room in a cabinet. (laughs) Here, funnily enough, I've got to tell you, Mum found a replacement a month or two ago. This is why it's in my mind. Mum found a replacement and as she was taking it out of the postage box, she dropped it and and smashed it. The, The replacement. We have no record of what happened when Paul arrived in Corinth. In Acts 20, uh, Luke records for us that Paul got down to that area again but doesn't mention uh, what had happened. No doubt he once again repeated his gospel message to them. Uh, The gospel appearing weak and those who proclaim it are weak but those are times when God is working most powerfully. That is the message of 2 Corinthians. Now concerning application, I have a few suggestions uh, which I think flow nicely from what we've been looking at 2 Corinthians and you might like to reflect on them this week. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be comforted. Be of the same mind. Be at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Let me pray. We thank you, Father, for the message about Jesus Christ through which you transform our hearts, you free us from slavery to sin and you give us hope for eternal life with you. We ask that we might examine ourselves so that we will hold fast to that message and that message alone so that we will not fail the test of faithful obedience to your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. And we're going to continue in prayer now.